This is the greatest hour to follow Jesus. I want to continue our teaching on the blood of Jesus. How many of you were blessed last week? And we've got amazing, amazing feedback online as well. There really is a lack of teaching on the blood of Jesus. And I, I believe that that is a, uh, it's a satanic plot and agenda. Um, the blood of Jesus carries the life of Jesus. The Bible says that, that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so to dishonor the blood is to dishonor the person of the Holy Spirit. And it is to uh, limit, limit is a weak word, it is to really uh, attack our own spiritual life when we stop valuing the blood of Jesus. And as you guys know, uh, communion is so central here in this church because the Lord is central. Uh, in this church, and he's given us this gift of his body and blood. It's interesting to me that that uh, the scripture teaches us that uh, many are sick and have fallen asleep, Paul writes, because they did not discern the body and blood of the Lord in the covenant meal. So that tells me that taking communion improperly is a bad idea. Right? Anybody here want to get sick? Anybody here want to die early? No. Okay, good. The wisdom in the house is just exploding. Uh, good. We're on the same page there. So, so the flip side of the coin would be this, is that uh, if the church is incredibly sick on multiple levels, and I'm not against the church. I think the church is beautiful. Uh, if you're looking for a perfect church, you'll never find a church. Uh, people are flawed. And one thing I've learned about and I'm still learning about pastoring, is a lot of it is just walking people through junk. It's dealing with weakness. It's coming to the table. It's learning to resolve uh, situations uh, in the presence of the Lord according to the word as the supreme authority. And that combination really invites us into Christ-likeness. Does that make sense? when the word of God is not the supreme authority, everybody comes up with their own way of life, life with each other, uh, way of living. And typically they'll say, the Lord told me to do it this way, when in reality the scriptures forbid it, right? And so when there's no supreme authority, uh, the experience of being conformed into the image of Jesus is limited in our life. We actually, in a sense, become the Lord of our life when we don't allow the scriptures to determine our way of living before the Lord and each other. Does that make sense to you? So, um, I honestly think, uh, I believe this, that the church does not receive enough communion, not consistently enough, and does not receive communion properly. I think those two issues are a reason that the church is experiencing so much of the pain and weakness that she's experiencing. Does that make sense to you? So um, a revelation of the blood is vital 
on multiple levels of life, especially, not especially, yeah, especially in our reception of the body and blood of Jesus. And we do that every week here. I don't know how the church got into doing it like maybe, maybe once a month. And I think part of the, well, maybe a question we could ask is, what have we replaced the reception of the body and blood with? Why don't we have the time to receive the body and blood of Jesus? And what has cluttered our services to the point of us rejecting the consistent reception of the meal of God? That is a supernatural meal, by the way. Like I actually just now, um, I'm just being honest with you. I've got a list of a, a bunch of stuff I'm supposed to tell you, and it's good stuff. Yet there's something in modern day church culture that makes the pastor feel rushed. So why don't we cut the head off that demon? And let the Lord be the Lord of his own house and service. So I'm going to give you the list. And then I'm going to go back to my teaching. Your carbs can wait. You should do intermittent fasting anyways. Summer's coming. Lean down. Get the six-pack out. All right. Huh? Not a six-pack. Thank you, baby. Wow. Jesse just said, please, you know, not a six-pack of beer. We know. We're not talking about beer. We're talking about conditioning. All right. That being said, I forgot to say this. Happy Mother's Day. And there is something, there is something I need to do. Actually, we do need to do this. Carla, would you come up? Lily, we want to honor Jessica this morning. Uh, So why don't you come up? And uh, why don't you guys come close? Let's stretch our hands. All of you precious ladies are getting a, a rose this morning, but Jesse's paid an amazingly high price to uh, say yes to the call of God on this house, on my life, and, and on her own life. And it's worthy of honor. And I think we can all say that this church would not be what it is without Jess, and neither would the broader movement. So why don't we just stretch our hands toward her? And um, actually, I'm going to ask you to pray, Lily. Can we get Lily a mic? Hmm? Yeah, you can pray over Jesse and all the mothers. Can we all stand? We just thank you for the sacrifice that Jessica has given to this body. We thank you for every mother in this room, God. Yes, Lord. We thank you for all they have done to bring us into this world. They're selfless. 
their selflessness, God, their humility, Jesus. Jesus, I just thank you that Jess, what Jess has embodied, bringing that humility, bringing that selflessness and the integrity mm-hmm. of who she is. Yes. And sharing that with this house, God. Just honor her in this moment, God. We thank you for Jess and all the mothers watching and in the room. Amen. Amen. Lord, we pray a special blessing on every mother, every mother who's mothered people in the spirit. Let your grace and presence rest upon them. Give them hearts, Lord, like the Virgin Mary who walked with you until the very end. Let them carry a loyalty for Jesus. I feel this so strongly right now. That the loyalty in your heart for Jesus, ladies, will help sustain what God is doing here in this church. In Jesus' name, be blessed. Amen. Amen. Can we thank God for every every lady, every mother here? Love you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. I got into my sermon. This is probably the wildest uh, sermon flow in history. I heard Bill get asked a question by some of his preaching team at Bethel. Uh, how, do you, how do you teach? He said, don't do it like I do. <laughs> um, son, listen, adult Sunday school is vital if you haven't signed up, I want you to. Um, there should be some info behind me. Is that right, David, right now? Is there info? Uh, you want to be strong in the foundations of the faith. Next week, I typically don't announce this sort of thing, but next week I am, uh, I am going to be teaching in children's church during worship. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to serve. And then over the... Yeah, you're like, are you? Uh, over the next few weeks, Jessica... Myself and Pastor Benny uh, will be preaching at youth, um, not every week in succession, but over the next few weeks, we're, we're going to jump in to the youth group. I felt something stir my soul. We, we would, we'd never announce uh, guest speakers, but I felt like the parents needed to know that we are aiming at a revival for the youth. And Pastor Benny said, I went in on it. We're also bringing in some guests, and we are going to pour our heart out into this next generation. God is going to break in his glory uh, through this next generation in a measure, I believe, that the earth has not seen. Amen? Um, Jesus Tour, we are coming back to Irvine uh, July the 28th. If you want to come, I would register quickly. People are registering from all over. It will be absolutely glorious. Now, lastly, uh, before I get into the blood again, I'm probably going to have to reintroduce the sermon. Uh, um, this summer, Jess and I and the kids are going to take a vacation. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's our first one in five years. And um, 
I heard somebody say, you don't plant churches, you plant and birth churches. And birthing can be challenging. <laughs> but when the baby comes, it's so much greater than the challenge. Even Jesus said that. This has been amazing. But all that to say, uh, we have felt the physical toll and at times even the emotional toll that being a faithful shepherd requires. And I'm so thankful for the team that we have around us, our board of directors, our spiritual advisory team that's phenomenal, people like Tommy Reed and Bill's on it, and so many, so many great leaders are on it. The Miller, Michael Miller is on it. Uh, they all felt like, hey, consistently throughout your life, you need to make it a part of your culture to make sure that you're getting away uh, as a family to just disconnect, hear from the Lord again, and have fun. We have like another summer, full summer with Theo until he goes off to school, which hopefully his version of going off to school is going to Jesus school. Uh, but we really want to enjoy that uh, <laughs> with him. And um, so this summer we'll be doing that. Uh, we're going to start right around the second week of July. Now, let's just not, let me tell you what this is not. You're not taking your notes going vacation time, unless you already have it. If you want to make me happy, and I believe the Lord happy, please do not limit your attendance here based on my attendance. Come for Jesus. He's much more beautiful than myself or anyone else. Now, we have invited amazing, amazing fathers and mothers to come serve you. Um, gosh, the Millers will be here. Uh, Mike Bickle will be joining us by Zoom on one of them. Paul Teske will be here. Pastor Randy will be here. Um, uh, gosh, many. I think, uh, I think Brian Guerin's coming down for a week. Stephanie's trying to come. So they won't be boring meetings, uh, I promise you that. But I really am hoping to tune in while we're on vacation and watch and see this place filled with people who love Jesus more than they love hearing from their pastor. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I just want to let you guys in on that. All right. Let's give the Lord praise so we can transition in a non-awkward way. All right. Okay. Let me give you a few scriptures here regarding the blood of Jesus. And then we'll receive communion. There's a great uh, pastor who's gone on to be with the Lord named Maxwell White. He's an English man. And his most prolific teaching was on the blood of Jesus. He uh, lived in England during uh, the war, World War II. And listen to what he writes here. We went through many dangerous air raids in England when buzz bombs were flying everywhere but we were able, listen to this, to lie down with our children and sleep through much of it. The protection of the blood of Jesus was so real that it seemed like we were sleeping in a strong shelter. In fact, we used to speak of the blood as the best air raid shelter in the world. Isn't that amazing? Say this, the blood of Jesus is my shelter. The blood of Jesus is my protection. Say this, the blood of Jesus is a hedge about me. Go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, please.
Oh, and Pastor Benny's teaching, I think, twice while we're gone. So, gosh, you guys are... Uh, you know, churches I used to go to, when the pastor was gone, you'd get, like, the deacon's sister preaching. <laughs> but uh, thank you, Lord. All right. Genesis 3, verse 6, speaking of Eve, during the temptation. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, okay, speaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Here we see the manifestation of turning our attention away from the Lord and stepping into disobedience. Say this out loud. The blood of Jesus deals with my sin and removes it completely. All right, so in this text, we see three categories of sin that Adam and Eve commit, and eventually you're going to see the Lord's method in dealing with them. Number one, the lust of the flesh. Say that, the lust of the flesh. Notice here, Eve saw that it was good for food. So she looks at a tree that God tells her to not feast off of and starts to believe that this tree that is lesser than the tree of life can actually become, listen carefully now, a source of nourishment for her. That is called the lust of the flesh. Anytime we prioritize the natural above the presence of Jesus, we step into the lust of the flesh. When I say the natural, I don't mean a glass of water. I'm talking about what the world offers. When I'm talking about the flesh, I mean the fallen nature of our humanity. Anytime we look for human promotion above God's promotion, this is what we step into. It's the lust of the flesh. That's number one. Number two, the lust of the eyes. Notice this. It was pleasant to the eyes. How many marriages would have been saved if men or women honored covenant that is unseen above who they're looking at? All right, can I go a little further with that one? How many financial uh, calamities for a family would have been prevented if somebody followed the scriptures instead of buying a house that they could not afford or a car that they could not afford and didn't need. Oh, man. Say, I remember being 25. That's what we all do at like 30 prior. That's what keeping up with people looks like. It's lacking discernment. It's long, lacking long-range vision. It's lacking planning. It's lacking biblical knowledge. It's lacking stewardship. And the Lord can't give you more because he can't trust you with what you have. That's what the lust of the eyes creates. And now here we talk about spiritual vision and the power of looking away. Now listen carefully. The heart, the heart contains the power of spiritual vision. 
Matthew 5 says, blessed are the pure in, for they shall see the Lord. I behold the Lord in my heart and how I behold and the frequency by which I behold the Lord. And that's vital if I'm going to become like him because we look like whoever we stare at. The frequency and the clarity of that internal vision of the Lord has everything to do with purity, the purity of the heart. Now, the heart is purified through his word, through the presence, uh, through the presence of his spirit, uh, through uh, so many different gifts the Lord has given us in the Christian life. But I want you to understand something. The spiritual vision moves first. Eventually, my eyes and the natural will go with it. The moment I stop looking away from Jesus, my spouse will look less beautiful to me. Of course. You know, the devil's been around a long time. I want you to think of everything that was birthed, everything that has come from this one fall in the garden. Okay, if it's horrible and you can think of it, there's the origin, turning away from God. Are y'all awake this morning? Yes. Or are you just blown away? Okay, it's not that good. It's getting there, but... <sighs> Cancer finds its origin in a fallen world. Lying finds its origin in a fallen world. Greed finds its origin in a fallen world. Broken families find their origin in a fallen world. Addiction finds its origin in the fall. When man fell, when Adam and Eve fell, it became a geyser that would spew forth the worst man could concoct. And the tragedy of sin is that it, because of man's nature that's fallen, the unredeemed man, he must create a more evil uh, vice because the, the nature of sin is that it cannot satisfy the heart. So here we see the lust of the eyes. Let me keep reading. And a tree, look down at verse 6, to be desired to make one wise... That's the pride of life. The pride of life is the tree that offers wisdom that's not found in Christ. Well, this is what I want you to understand. Paul writes, he is wisdom unto us. To the Christian, wisdom is a person. That's why the book of Proverbs says that wisdom can cry out, that it speaks to us, Wisdom is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wisdom is not, from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, wisdom is not knowing a bunch of stuff. I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to engage in normal conversation. But biblically speaking, wisdom is a person. To the wise God, to the only wise God, the scripture teaches. So here we see the offering 
of wisdom outside the tree of life that is Christ crucified. You've heard me teach on that many times. This is the revelation that the tree offers life, the cruciform son. To look anywhere else is the pride of life. And the pride of life is offered through the false gift wrapping of worldly wisdom. Amen? All right, let's see what the Apostle John has to say about this. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. Now, before I read this, I want everyone here to close their eyes and out loud, I just want you to pray in the Spirit. Come on, out loud, pray in the Spirit. Praise you, Lord. Blessed be your name. Help me there, Joel, would you? Blessed be your name. Worthy are you, Lord. Praise you. Open our hearts to receive the power of your word. A little more. Blessed are you, Jesus. You watching in your homes, just begin to pray in the spirit. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Okay, thank you, Joel. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 16. John addresses this. Do not love the world. I loved, I think it was Ryder. Was that Ryder? No. Caleb, little Caleb. He, that was hilarious. Do you love people? No. Okay. John writes here in his epistle, do not love the world or the things in the world. Some church services today look more like nightclubs in their platform culture. And they are not even nightclubs I'd want. I mean, they're worse than nightclubs. The world should not infiltrate the, the, the gathering of the saints. Now, the gathering of the saints shouldn't be religious either. But, but John here clearly writes, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone, listen to this, loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. So if we are worldly, we are not walking in the love of the Father. Unfortunately, we are confusing love with accepting everything. But here the Bible says to love the world, to love materialism, to love uh, anything like that is to not carry the love of the Father. Listen, for all that is in the world. Now John takes us back to the garden here. I just read you this from Genesis 3. Listen to what he says. The lust of the flesh, right? You're going to look at three categories here. There's the same three. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. The same issue in the garden is not of the Father, but is of this world. Uh, you're going to see the same thing flush out in the temptation of Jesus. Quickly, quickly, go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. The same three. Satan offers Jesus the same three. Same three categories that were offered in the garden. And that's very important. 
If you're there, say uh uh-huh. I want you to see the majesty of God here. Adam is standing in a paradise, both spiritually and naturally, in Eden, in the Garden of Eden, which means pleasure. Eden means pleasure. And God plants a garden in Eden. Listen, he will only plant a garden in your life that is found in the pleasure of the Spirit. To those who find their pleasure in God, God will begin to cultivate a garden whereby he is the vine dresser and the gardener. When your heart becomes filled with the pleasure of God, he will be sure that a garden is planted there. And being that when he was raised, Mary Magdalene sees him and mistakes him As a gardener, it was the Lord's way of saying, I am still the divine gardener. But he will not plant a garden in the heart of the person who doesn't find their pleasure in him. You say, why do I need a garden? Because that's where gardeners live. And so much fruit will come forth from that garden that people will begin to feast on your simple little heart that has learned to fellowship with the Lord. Hallelujah is right. This is amazing that the world can be impacted by one little heart that has become a garden. I feel the presence of God now. took us a while to get here because you took too much melatonin on the way in. Thank you, Lord. So now Jesus is in the wilderness. I want you to see the the wisdom of God. Jesus is in the wilderness. There's no natural garden around. It's the opposite. Eve falls to temptation and Adam. They fall to temptation surrounded by natural beauty. And now the perfect son, the last Adam, goes into the wilderness to destroy the tempter by rejecting him and obeying his father. Do you see the pattern here? You see the picture? So now the devil comes in Matthew 4, 3 and says, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. What's he appealing to here? The lust of the flesh. You notice there's a meal being offered? Offering the bread of life, natural bread? Bad idea. Bad idea. I said, bad idea. Look down here at verse 8 of Matthew 4. When the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, Matthew 4, 8. What did he do there? What do you think he did there? Think of the three categories. What did he do? What was he offering? Lust of the eyes. He showed him the kingdoms and said, grab it. Mm. Lastly, in verse 6, lastly, in verse 6, the devil appears, appeals to the pride of life. Listen to this in verse 6 of Matthew 4. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, 
and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Here he offers the pride of life. Very conveniently, the devil left out a portion of Psalm 91 there. And by the way, he's quoting Psalm 91. You see, the devil would never use the Bible to screw me up. She sure would. If you don't find Christ crucified in it, you will misuse the text. In fact, sinful lives, people who are promoting willful sin, have to find a theology to justify it. And they use scriptures that are incomplete and twist them to justify their perspective. That's what they do. They, they can't stay in the church unless they construct their own theology. They need it, so they do what the devil did here. And what did he conveniently leave out there? Which is <laughs> it's, it's quite hilarious. He will, not allow, he will not allow you to dash your foot against a stone. And he conveniently leaves out this verse. And you will tread upon lions and cobras. It's a good idea for him not to mention that. Okay. How does Jesus deal with those temptations? The same three categories again. Through the written word, he says it is written. But now I want to take you, before we take communion, I want you to see the power of this. I want you to see how the Lord dealt with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life that is being offered to us in this culture nonstop. Unfortunately, still, even in the church. And may the Lord change all of that. I said, may the Lord change all of that. Genesis 3.21. Go there. Can you help me, Joel? Are you enjoying this? Yes. All right, so here's this absolute tragedy that the world is still paying for the fall. Adam and Eve lose everything. They die inside, for Jesus said to them, for in the day you eat of this fruit, you will die. So they died inside, and then hundreds of years later, they actually die physically, but they really died when they disobeyed. And they noticed something. Listen carefully. They noticed something. They noticed they were naked. You say, uh, well, that wouldn't be hard to notice. <laughs> well, You have to understand that prior to the fall, Adam and Eve were actually clothed in his glory. So it wasn't just this realization that things were the way they'd always been. No, the, the covering, the, the glory, the Shekinah, the very tangible presence of the Lord that is the Lord who is arrayed in light, who clothed them in his light, was gone. Friends, that is death. That's death. And in that moment, the awareness of self is birthed in humanity. And so rather than cruciform and cross-help, we've developed self-help. 
help. Rather than dying, we've become addicted to preservation. Rather than giving, we've become experts at demanding and receiving. Rather than serving and carrying our cross, we've become incredible at arguing. Huh? Rather than being comfortable in the shadows, we shine the light on ourselves. Rather than finding a crevice in the rock like Moses and Jesus and Elijah to pray, we'd rather stand on the mountain and say, come look at me. And we find churches today because they receive our gifting and see our anointing and make way for us. So nothingness that is only found in the shadow of the Most High, which is the clothing of glory, is rejected and we've chosen the nakedness of self-awareness. Now God is a remedy. I said God is a remedy. And the remedy is the blood of Jesus. Genesis 3.21. Oh, this is powerful. And the Lord God... I'm sorry. And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made coverings or tunics of skin and clothed them. Here we see the Lord himself institute the truth of innocent sacrifice for another's guilt. Where did the Lord get these skins? Think about it. He didn't have a skin factory or a leather shop. Here we see that an animal had to be slain and that animal had to cover the guilty, the guilty party. The sinner, the perfect, the innocent, had to cover the sinner. And this is what the Lord does here. And most likely, surely in fact, as he covered them in skins, they would be smeared in the blood of Jesus or the blood of the animal, I should say, representative of the blood of Jesus. Now they understood that only the blood could cover their nakedness. And it was the blood that was God's remedy in dealing with lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Say, it's the blood. Say it again. It's the blood. Say it again. It's the blood. Now here's the powerful thing. I want you to understand how to come receive communion this morning. So, so you, please hear me. Anytime you get near the tree, the precious cross, you'll find blood flowing down. And the cross seems too difficult to carry, and it, it is in the natural. It's so difficult. But if you're willing to carry the cross, something beautiful happens that happened to Simon of Cyrene. 
Here's Jesus, weak in his mortal body, carrying the cross, and he can't go any further. The Romans find a man of Cyrene named Simon and tell him to carry the cross. He had to carry the shame of Christ, in a sense, in front of a world who saw the cross as a curse because the scripture says, cursed be any man who hangs on a tree. But what happened to Simon that day? What would Simon have been covered in if he took that cross upon him? Say the blood of Jesus. Oh my gosh. Do you realize how powerful it is to take up the tree regardless of the shame by which the world views it? You are clothed in the blood of Jesus and naked no more. In a sense, God clothes you like he clothed Adam and Eve, but not with animal skins, with the precious blood of his son. To get daily teaching from Michael and to follow our event schedule around the world, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Image TV YouTube channel as well. By partnering with Jesus Image, you will help us take the saving and healing power of Jesus to the world. Your giving changes lives forever. For more information, please visit us online at JesusImage.tv or write us at Jesus Image, P.O. Box 950-640, Lake Mary, Florida, 32795. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus is the answer for every life, everywhere.